Greetings. Welcome to the Optic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Chuck Randolph, Optic's Executive Director of Strategic Intelligence. From 30 years as a military officer to transforming corporate executive protection, event security, and intelligence services teams to function beyond their traditional roles, protection, risk management, intelligence, and threat mitigation have been front and center throughout my career. This podcast series will explore the turbulent world of risk, security, and protection through conversations with leaders and innovators in the field. Now, on to the discussion. Well, I'm sitting with uh, Ray Secure CEO, Alex Sapuk. Alex, thanks for coming by and, and talking about GSX. Very busy for you guys. I see that Race Secure is everywhere in mail screening and other places. So thanks for coming by the booth and spending some time with us. Chuck, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking, by the way, um, I think by the time this airs, we will have already done it, but I'm really looking forward to the session we're having tomorrow, of which we're gonna talk about the landscape, if you will. So I, no spoilers. But uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Likewise, I think the panel that we put together is just testament to the importance of the issue. Yeah. Right. Kind of looking at enterprise security holistically, especially from the standpoint of physical goods and threats coming into facilities. Well, let me ask you some automatically going off script and everyone's like, oh, I knew we would do that. I mean, think if I think about that. So you guys are just mail screeners, right? Why do you care about enterprise risk? Yes, yeah, so that's the interesting thing, right? I mean, I think that's the natural reaction is kind of look at it in, in, in that niche, right? In that corner, say, hey, you're just screening mail or packages coming in the facility. But the reality is those logistics impact pretty much every aspect, both of physical and in some cases, cybersecurity. No, so absolutely. If, you, if you think about business continuity, right? Insider threats, executive protection, even COVID return to work with hybrid remote work, right? All of that is impacted by the physical goods and mail coming into your facility. Now, I, I want to get a little bit into your background and, and I want to do that. But first, I, you know, I totally agree with you. Like people often, you know, I've done some consulting myself and you get a lot of this from mail, like, oh, we don't have any problems except for that one time. Oh yeah, and then we had that other thing that right. came in. And oh, then we had that box and it had wires. And so I think there's something about the mail that is a ligament within the risk bone structure, if you will. And it it, it touches and affects everything. You're right, from cyber to um, maybe even uh, sanctions activity. No, absolutely. And if you think about you know how we're looking at enterprise security today, you know, look at access control and physical security, right? Mm -hmm. We're scanning every single person walking in the front door mm -hmm. because that person could pose a risk to all aspects of the organization. From the cyber standpoint, we're scanning every piece of email that's coming right. in, right? And if it's suspect, it's quarantined until somebody takes a look at it. But you've got this huge gap with physical goods, packages, deliveries, Amazon boxes, Uber Eats, all this stuff coming in and you have no idea what it is. Well, just think about it too. We're also creating telemetry points that can be connected to other things in this larger risk mitigation structure that we're looking at to say, hey, you know, maybe it's something inside our threat, like you say, like, oh, look, this package came in from Chuck Randolph. We also know, by the way, he's on the radar for HR, and also he's had unusual um, network activity over the last few days. Is there something there we should look at? We're creating an anomaly that we need to go and, and 
you know, ascertain, is it something or not? Absolutely. And having that data, right, that's such a key piece of making decisions within security. You know this better than I do, right? You know, bringing this data into our aggregate decision-making process. So to your point, right, maybe, you know, Chuck was on CNN last night and said something controversial, or there's other risk factors here. Maybe, you know, part of your team was let go for whatever reason, right? So you have a risk profile that's dynamic and changing, and now you've got this information coming in that helps you assess how you address that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's be clear, though. If somebody was going to say something controversial on CNN, it wouldn't be me. It'd be my co-host, Fred Burton, because, you know, he would be the one that would do that. But certainly not me. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Alex, one of the reasons I was really excited to have you come here is I'm a huge fan of people that get into the air quotes security industry from non-traditional um, ways. You know, oftentimes what you hear is I came in through the U.S. government or a government agency or the military or local law enforcement or something. But you kind of have a different background. So could you, you know, and I have some questions around that, but I'm always curious because there's different backgrounds mean different optics. So tell us a little bit about you, how you got into security, all, all these things. Yes, yeah, so I got into security actually a little bit by happenstance. I started my career in the automotive industry. So I spent about 15 years working in research, development, developing new technologies. Uh, prior to that, I actually spent about almost 10 years in academia at MIT developing uh, new sensing uh, capabilities, predominantly for automotive engine design uh, and, and uh, development applications. Um, and from there, you know, recently kind of segued into security and it's been a fascinating industry. So what was that moment, I mean, either for you personally or in your professional world where you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm into this, this security, this risk, this like, was there a, was it merely a business decision or was there some type of personal aha moment that said, I feel this more, you know, I guess holistically or internally or something? Yeah, I think for me, it was a combination of a couple of things. But, you know, the, the, the keys that I can point to are coming from a technology background. Yeah. You don't often come across new technologies or develop new technologies that then have such an important impact in the world. Right. Right. And so seeing that in security, what we've been doing at Race Secure is really developing what I'll say is really next generation advanced imaging to see right. inside of items for threats. And there's such a big need, and you could look at applying that across different industries, right? Whether it's industrial imaging, medical imaging, but in the security space in particular, you know, we saw a huge need. And so for me, it's just been an exciting ride for the last three years, learning about all these new use cases, right? Where we can really make an impact. So I love this because I think the last three or four years, things like COVID and other, you know, unprecedented ability to see risk uh, manifest, I, I think, kind of puts us at a place where we have to suddenly understand and work on things like convergence or digital transformation, which I'm not saying they were lip service before, but I think there's a, we can have a buzzword and we know like there's a long like on-ramp for that. But then all of a sudden, hey, COVID, hybrid work, uh-oh, we're here. And all these companies, whether you're in security or not, suddenly had to figure out hybrid work. So now we have things like Zoom calls, everything else. But I'm fascinated somebody that's been at MIT and has been the automotive industry who, when I say data, data analytics, you, you know, you're going to walk all over me and go, let me tell you about that. What can security practitioners learn from somebody with your background about digital transformation? Yeah, I think if, in my mind, technology is all about a tool to do a job. 
right? And so at the end of the day, it's the practitioner, right? You know, folks with your kind of background who grew up in this industry, right? Who know how to apply those tools best. And it's really kind of marrying those two together. Say, hey, here's what we can do from a data side. Here's what we can do from an imaging standpoint. These are the tools that we can provide, but working then with, you know, security experts to, to figure out how to best apply those, you know, to solve the problems that people care about on a day in and day out basis. So how do people start? If they say, look, look, I'm in a, or, I'm in a large organization. They're listening into this or I'm a small organization, they're just like, I want to lean more in on this idea of a, uh, a digital transformation or, or a digital change in, in my way. And you're saying, you know, it's a problem issue. So how do you start mapping the problem to technology? Or maybe yeah. how did you guys figure that out in the, in the mail side? Yeah, so it's a little bit, you know, I think uh, part of it is just getting exposure, right? right. You know, having uh, part of a solution, getting in front of people and really, really listening and internalizing that feedback. Mm -hmm. Say, okay, hey, what problem are we solving? And more importantly, why are we doing that? And what that. is the impact of us doing that, right? And if we can answer those two questions, we can really then start to tailor a solution that makes sense. You know, when people talk about digital, they talk about, you know, developments in AI and other technologies. I mean, these are all great tools, but it's really about defining the problem so that we can apply the right tools to solve those problems. I love problems. that because I think I was listening to uh, an interview on one of the multiple podcasts I listened to. It was a cybersecurity one. And the, the conversation was around, are we putting the word machine learning on things simply because if we feel we don't, we're not in, we're not in the running anymore. So I love, it's refreshing to hear somebody from a tech side come in and say, look, it's about what are we doing? Why are we doing? What are we trying to solve? As opposed to like, let's just run in there and do something. Absolutely. And that's really the approach that we've taken at Race Secure. So we've taken a very non-traditional approach, I would mm -hmm. say, to what you call the digital transformation. Because particularly in security, right, when the stakes are high, AI, machine learning tools can be great for automating a lot of these repetitive, more mm -hmm. mundane type tasks. But at the end of the day, you need a human expert in the loop you know, making those tough decisions based on not just the information from whatever the technology is telling you, but all these other contextual inputs, right? Whether it's prior risk assessments, a prior history, all these things that, you know, the system in itself doesn't know. So one of the things that we've done is really focus on bringing in security practitioners into the organization. Right. Folks like former military threat experts, with an EOD background or former law enforcement experts or former USPIS postal inspectors who, when you know, the information our imaging systems are telling us something, can actually help interpret that information right. and make informed decisions. So you're not just relying on you know, this, these tools to do that for you. Which I love because if we take the word mail out of that discussion we just had, you could put anything in it. And what we're trying to do is say, look, you have all this you have data, information, telemetry, all this threat din coming at you. And we're trying to make, whether it's in mail or, or POIs, we're trying to understand what are the priorities and all the requirements. Because something pop, pops up today, pandemic, it's a priority, we have to deal with it. Four months from now, it's an endemic, it's now a priority. What's the next, or I'm sorry, it's now a requirement of monitoring, so what's the next priority? And I love the idea of like saying, again, what what's our objective? How are we solving it? And then what's the power of the machine to augment the Mark One eyeball to help us focus that eyeball on the priorities of the day? Exactly, and you're absolutely right. You can substitute pretty much anything for the yep. example that we just discussed, right? One of the interesting things I always refer back to is kind of what's happening in the medical space, right? right? So you have AI and machine learning that's being used to interpret X-ray images, for example, to detect cancer. But beyond that, once you've made that diagnosis, 
rather than relying on maybe the expertise of a local doctor who's only dealt with that once or twice over a 30 year career, being able to leverage the fact that we can share this information digitally, you can now get an expert halfway across the country looking at yeah. that same data, you know, and they see this thousands of times a year, right? And getting that expertise. And I think there's tremendous opportunity to do the same sorts of things in the security space, you know, based on the aggregate of this, you know, telemetry that you're talking about. How important is critical thinking in your day-to-day -day work? And I know like, you're like, really? That's like a no-brainer question. But I often think, as we've just been saying, often people like, I need to run in and solve the fire right now. And I, but I, sometimes what might be required is like, let's have a critical think on this. Or as, uh, as my grandfather used to say, let's have a mommy look at this. Like, let's step back and think about what we're doing what the ramifications are. What's your thoughts on that? No, I think, you know, oftentimes, right, we're dealing with things as they're coming up, right? And mm -hmm. on a short fuse and you got to address them. But I think to your point, stepping back and saying, you know, there's two questions. Why are we doing this, right? In the first place, mm -hmm. oftentimes people just make the assumption we should be doing it because we've always done it this way, right? Yeah. We're just going to go and do it. But why are we doing it? And if we do it, you know, what is the outcome that we want, right? And if we can answer those two questions and convince ourselves that it's the right thing, we could continue to go down that path. But if not, there's the opportunity to step back and maybe reassess, right? And, and do it much more efficiently. No, I, I want to shift gears just for a second, because I've heard you and I've heard Will talk about this idea of worshiping, not, not worship in a religious sense, but war, W-A-R, shipping. And this, and I think it's a hybrid problem. Um, but I know about it, but can you tell the audience a little bit about what it is and why it's something that we should all be thinking about right now? Sure, and it's one of those things that as we kind of talked about, right, people kind of put mail security a little bit in a, in a corner sometimes, mm -hmm. but it really um, impacts the intersection of physical and cybersecurity, yeah. right? So with the term warshipping or what some people are calling digital threats today, mm -hmm. the combination of digital and physical, uh, it's the ability for somebody with less than $100 in hobbyist electronics to put together a little mini computer on a circuit board about the size of a credit card with a SIM card and a Wi-Fi connection and embed that between two sheets of cardboard, send it into a facility, and it just sits there and starts to access that network. So that is mind-blowing if you think about it. Hey, we just had about mass layoff. Um, Alex, can you put your computer in this box and send it back? It comes back through the mail. We don't know what to do with it because we need to process, you know, 40 computers. Let's just put it over there in the corner. And then that sits and waits quietly, turns on, it's a battery, and now you're, in, you're inside the wire, so to speak. Exactly. You know, and there's so much emphasis put on what we'll say and kind of walling off the organization from digital threats, you know, mm -hmm. coming over the Internet that people aren't really thinking about how easy it is for the price of, you know, shipping a box, you know, a couple bucks, right, to send something into a facility that nobody is really looking for and bypass a lot of those defenses. Well, I, I've had a couple of great conversations around worshiping or the fidgetal, uh, fidgetal issues. I've actually been on a couple uh, we've been on a couple of webinars together and, and whatnot. And I thought like. I don't want to give any ideas to anyone listening, but I've thought about other ways that could be used as well in terms of like, if we know this box is going to sit in the corner, what else could we do? Right. In terms of a time delivery or a time delay delivery. And again, I go back to this idea of like critical thinking in the problem space. Ah, it's just mail, Alex. Who cares? It's fine. We don't have budget for it. It's not a big deal, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. And, you know, and it, part of it goes down to process too. You know, we talk right. a lot about technology, but part of it is revisiting your process. So, you know, are you allowing that stuff to sit around, especially now with hybrid remote workers, right? Are there policies in place around, you know, whether personal stuff should even be received on site? You know, how long is that retained? Um, you know, people are opening boxes, stuff is embedded in the packaging and you're saving those boxes to be reused again, right? So they're still sitting in the facility. So revisiting that from a process standpoint too is so important. I mean, again, that's fascinating to think about just like second and third orders of effect. Like, oh, I got the box, I did this thing. And then in the corner, not thinking like, oh, now there's something in the box or something that the box has been soaked in. I mean, it's all exactly. kinds of, I, I'm curious, kind of go back to your like non-traditional entry into the security and the risk world. What have you learned like personally? Like, like wow, I never I never thought of this. And then also what have you brought forward that's, that said, hey, security and risk industry, y'all never thought of this. I mean, yeah, so I think there's a, there's a couple of things. You know, one, a, a few of the things I just learned anecdotally um, is how welcoming the industry has been, right? <laughs> it <laughs> wasn't always that way, so I'm glad you're in it now. <laughs> so I definitely experienced that off the bat, right? In terms of, hey, you know, we've got problems that affect all of us as a whole, right? And how do we collaborate mm -hmm. to, you know, help address those problems? Because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily a competitive advantage, right? The industry I used to come from, you know, things were held pretty close to the vest and, you know, one yep. company was looking at, you know, competitive differentiators, you know, relative to another. In this case, we're all facing kind of these external threats, right? So right. how do we as a community work to address those? That's been very refreshing and very eye-opening. Also, just the speed of innovation in the industry, right? The ability to, start to deploy solutions very, very quickly because of the urgent nature of a lot of these threats that we're dealing with. Um, you know, some of the things that that uh, I brought, at least from an outsider's perspective, was just um, kind of as we talked about in the opening, right? Standing back and saying, hey, we're spending billions of dollars every year, you know, basically protecting the front door, you know, yeah. access control, everybody walking in, but this back door where we're getting all these mail-in deliveries is just completely unprotected. And how do we address that vulnerability? It's uh, So I've done my share of of uh, risk assessments, building facility assessments for governments and organizations. And you're right. I mean, everyone, we have a lot of money for people coming in the front door. We have all the gadgets and everything we need. But oftentimes it's like, hey, did anybody think to screen the mail that's coming in through the loading dock that happens to be underneath the conference room that the senior leaders meet every Friday? Exactly. And then you get the... Uh, a little bit of silence. And then they start thinking about the numbers. Well, well wait a minute, to move all this, oh my gosh. Um, how, do you, how do you approach, like, how do you approach organizations when you have to like, because yeah, what, what I'm really getting at is how do we talk to risk decision makers to help them understand in, in the language that they can make decisions? Like, you have a problem here. Houston, it's not good. Right. You know, I think it's like, you know, any big challenge is kind of breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. Mm -hmm. So like you said, oftentimes you might be coming in to an organization where critical decisions have already been made, right? Mm -hmm. And it, they may be too far down that path to make some of those more drastic changes. Right. So it's like, how do we work within this existing framework, right? How can we give you some tools, some processes right off the bat to help mitigate the situation that we currently find ourselves mm -hmm. in? And then as we do some longer term planning, right, to start to plant the seeds for, hey, the next time we're moving into a new facility, that, you know, as we, you know, think right. about how we re-architect this, what are the opportunities to really make some foundational changes that should have been made really in the first place? Well, and I love that. Like, hey, great. I get it. You made a decision, you know, no harm, no foul. What can we do incrementally maybe move something off site have it here then have it reshipped over here i mean there's little things like you say 
incremental changes we can do to reduce the threat uh, the threat vector and still allow us to move forward, understanding like, you know, we got it, you can't turn on a dime. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, in today's world, especially things are so interconnected and interrelated, you know, it's no longer um, a world or a simple problem where we can just deploy a piece of technology and say, hey, it's going to do whatever it needs to yeah. do, right? It's it's related to the process, the procedures, you know, how we structure just the logistics within the entire organization and all of that is you know, oftentimes not considered um, and needs to be from the forefront. You know, it's a, one thing I love about Race Secure, something I love about the company I work at now, Optic, is both a very giving into the community, like you said earlier, look, we recognize that there needs to be, there needs to be a, uh, we need to cohabitate as risk mitigators in this environment. I'm trying to sound like really educate, educated there, but Race Secure has always been very good about putting out information. You guys have this like state of mail security. You have your monthly mails that come out from Will that talks about things that you're seeing. I mean, what was the philosophy behind saying, hey, we're going to put this stuff out there and, and just make it available to people? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, it's my firm belief that these kind of decisions need to be driven by actual, you know, real world data information. Right. And when we looked at the physical security, in particular the mail space, there was a lack of that information, especially in one spot. Mm -hmm. You've got different government agencies, USPIS, ATF, putting out kind of, you know, disjointed reports that each cover a little bit of that, but yep. don't provide the full picture. So in my mind, if I'm on the other side of the table trying to address a problem, and I don't really know how big that problem is or how serious it is, I don't have that information, you really can't make an educated decision. Yeah. So that, in my mind, is really step one of, hey, let's get this information out there, right? We'll provide this, you know, open source, objective information to the community, right, to raise awareness so mm -hmm. security practitioners can understand as they're, you know, starting with risk assessments, thinking about those key decisions, right, that have long-term implications, they have that information up front. Well, it's great to say, you're right, you know, like, we have all these different data points or data collection sources that things are coming in from, and they might be in almost different languages. So, you know, like government might have it one way, you might have something that comes out from industry another way, but being able to say, hey, look, we'll, we'll, we'll ingest this and we'll come up with a report that everyone can kind of approach it from the same point of view. So that will better get more innovation in the industry and also helps us on the on the other end. I mean, Antic does the same thing. We have our state of, uh, we have our annual state of uh, protective intelligence and then the mid-year one. And I've often said, if you take Ray Secure's state of mail security and you take the Antic and you read that together, it really is a good bellwether to risk that we're seeing now. Absolutely. And I think the key there, uh, and you mentioned a little bit, is both with what Ontic and Race Secure are doing and the information that we're putting out is not just aggregating that information, right. but presenting it in a way that is easy for people to interpret. And you've done some of the work up front so that people can really you know, use that information in a practical way. Yep. You know, today, I think we're just confronted with so much information overload, right? You can start to do research online and end up in a you know rabbit hole where you, you're just finding all this information, but how you make sense of that. And I think that's more important is that organizations like ours, you know, kind of distill that in a way that makes sense and that is actionable. For yeah, I mean, Norman Schwarzkopf once said, you know, do what's right. And I feel like, you know, in this sense, both organizations are doing what's right. Let's put this out. Look, there is something I think to um, risk fatigue or risk monitoring fatigue, because you're right, we get it, we're inundated from it, whether it's social media, TV, I mean, it never seems to stop. And, you know, now we have to go find good news. And then by the time you go and find it, you're like, yep, great. Somebody helps somebody across the street. So I think anything we can do that gets information in front of protectors and risk mitigators to say, look, we have a common operating information and language. We can start approaching problems. Um, 
I want to ask you a question that I hate asking people, but I really want to ask it to you. What keeps you up at night? You know, I think um, just knowing what, what we don't know, right? Uh-huh. You know, we spend all this time, you know, focusing on the information that we can re- readily ascertain, but we know there's gaps, right? And making sure that everything we're doing from a process standpoint to the tools and the technology that we're rolling out to support that we're providing folks, mm-hmm. it really equips them to deal with the unknown, right? Because that's, you know, something that, you know, yeah. we're constantly coming yeah. up against, right? But it's, it's something that- Well, it's interesting because oftentimes we talk about black swans, like, oh, we didn't see that coming. But in retrospect, you know, maybe we did. Right. And even if we say like, oh, we didn't see that coming, well, like earlier, we're talking critical thinking. Did we look at that? Was there any, any indicators coming in from, from mail, from other aspects so that we could, you know, ferret out those known unknowns or unknown knowns? I mean, I, I, I totally get that. I'm not surprised that that's how you would come up with or that's the angle that you would take to that. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. You know, it's this um, ability to be proactive, yeah. right? I mean, we, we, we're still dealing with the effects of the last two and a half years, right? Low yep. probability, high impact event that's, you know, impacted the economy, society globally, yep. right? Um, and it's how do we as forward thinking organizations, right, anticipate some of that and put at least the best processes in place, right? So that we can plan and address those when they come up. I think it's just like, you know, if you think about educational process, right? right. It's not so much about what you're learning, it's learning how to learn so you can continue to learn, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in my mind in security is, is equipping, you know, our customers, our teams, the community, right? With the tools to address those unknowns when they, when they come I up. I love that idea of like learning how to learn. Again, it's like the approach vector of, look, it, you know, as, as information changes, as the ability to ingest information changes, we have to cons- consistently and constantly ask ourselves, how are we learning this? How are we taking it in? Is there better ways to do it? How can I do it to maximize my own ability? Um, Absolutely. I, I'm also curious, like, what do you read every day? A little bit of everything. Uh, uh, honestly, these days, there's not a whole lot of time yeah, yeah, for, of course. for for a lot of uh, reading. A lot of what I like to read are um, true stories, right? Yep. You know, it's either, you know, somebody else's, you know, biography, right? You know, how, you know, that, that, that stuff can be really, really inspiring. Yeah, I know. I try to like, I try to like, I'm a Bloomberg fan. So every day I try to hit Bloomberg. And then, of course, there's an audio book that goes on. So at any given time, I've got this like, Polymathic. What am I listening to right now? And I'm I'm curious. Like, do you, is there anything that you focus on on the security world, or do you mostly tend to focus on like the e- economic factors and other things that might uh, have influence to, you know? Sure. I mean, we definitely keep up on you know we'll call it the macroeconomic factors, yeah. right? That are driving kind of risk and general behavior yep. uh, across industries. But then getting down at a granular level, you know, the reports again, kind of going yep. back to the kind of data that you know Ontic is putting out and others in the industry, right? Really leaning on that to say, hey, what is the current state of the right. industry within security? So, so what do you do? You, I mean, of course, we have no crystal ball. We did, but it got broken. So, um, do you have any? What are you seeing? Like, do you have any predictions, I guess, for ri- the risk landscape? You're again, I believe that you guys are at a, a very interesting precipice by which you have an overwatch on risk. I mean, anything that you think people should keep their eyes on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that and the data supports this, that yeah. these kinds of threats, you know, just continue. It's, it's such an easy, low cost way for people who don't feel heard, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's because of the current political climate, the current social climate, you know, changes in the economy um, to, to, to become heard. Right um, or to feel like they're they're getting their voice out there. Right, I think we continue to see those types of things 
uh, perpetuate. We're seeing, at least in the data over the last 12 to 18 months, you know, in the past, these used to be more hoaxes, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty benign type uh, type events. A little bit more, you know, caustic materials that are being Real sent in. Um, so we definitely see, you know, a trend in, in that direction. Again, it's difficult to predict, but I think, um, you know, with what we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months, we can certainly expect, you know, those kinds of trends to continue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess last question is like, if people want to follow you or, or they'd like to continue this conversation with you, offline i mean where, where do we find you how do we how do we get onto the uh, race secure tribe so to speak sure, absolutely so i think you know the team's pretty active on linkedin twitter yeah. you know the, all the usual accounts so um definitely uh, definitely follow us there and um really really appreciate the opportunity again here yeah, Chuck. absolutely alex thanks for joining the the ontic uh podcast appreciate it look forward to the to the conversation we're gonna have tomorrow likewise absolutely This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co forward slash center. Again, ontic.co forward slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music track is called Monteverde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co forward slash center for more information. Thank you for listening.